Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. We've got Sean Tagg with us on the show today. Sean is the partner and COO at Memphis Investment Properties. He's going to talk to us about the methods from the book Traction and how it has refined their business, how step-by-step and iteration-by-iteration they have been scaling up. He also shares with us how they came up with the streamlined process for their deals and how they have doubled up in volume and built a team committed to their vision. So without further ado, let's welcome Sean Tagg. All right. Today, we've got Sean Tagg with us. He is the COO of Memphis Investment Properties. MIP for short, not to be confused with anything else. But Sean, thanks for coming on the show today. Do you want to tell us a little bit, a little bit more about yourself? Sure thing. Thanks, AJ and Chris. Excited to be on here. Um, glad to be hanging out with you guys for a minute and your guests. Yeah, you used to be a biomedical engineer, did some artificial heart research at the University of Utah. Decided I didn't really like research and be on a computer all day. And I just wanted the had that entrepreneur bug and Started doing real estate a little bit on the side at work and then just loved it so much. I networked and found some great partners here in Memphis and I actually just moved across the country from Salt Lake all the way over to Memphis to invest in real estate because Memphis was the best rental market. I, I still believe it's one of the best right now. And so I just moved over there for opportunity in business and growth and just got now I'm the chief operating officer of Memphis Investment Properties and a partner along with my other partners, Jim and Brad Reedy. And just working our best, trying to trying to do our best, get better and better every day and kind of have some organized chaos. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. You said that you were working and then just transitioned into real estate kind of as like a side gig. Like what, what kind of piqued your interest or how did you kind of get into that? I mean, man, it, it goes down to just, I'm an engineer. So I had a lot of spreadsheets like, oh, stock market. What if you know, the average stock market growth and, and thinking of retirement, really, I'm like, I'm like, freak, I have to do this for 30 years, you know, because like stock, just the returns weren't good enough. But if I could get the returns up into the, you know, stock market, I was like at six or 8%. It's like, if I could get my returns into the 15s or 20% plus, which I actually now proved it, it's, you can get even way better than that in real estate. And I was just like, wow, well, you can retire a lot quicker with, with better investment vehicles and all the other benefits of real estate. So just kind of research and nerding out and just, just analyzing and then really just buying my first house. I bought a duplex and the other unit was paying my mortgage. And I'm like, wow, let's just do this every year. And that's what I was kind of starting out with. And, just, and then it just caught me like a bug and I, I couldn't get it off. And I thought about it all the time. and just wanted to do real estate. So... When you realized you were you wanted to do it, what was the transition like? How did you make that transition from, you know, working your normal job to going to be a, a full time real estate investor? Yeah, so like of course I'd spend five hours a week, ten hours a week after work, you know, doing real estate and trying to find deals. I did a couple flips, wholesales, and a couple buying holds with either some partners or by myself in Salt Lake or in Memphis. 
And then, dude, just networking, talking to everyone, just loving it, wanting to hear from anyone that's doing real estate, asking questions, just searching all the podcasts like this one and learning, just soaking it in on all my drive, driving back and from work. And then just asking people like, hey, like I'm looking to partner and partner with you. And then I was just like, I'm just looking to do this full time. What's your advice? Ask several people on that. And then one, my partners are just like, well, hey, if you're serious and you're thinking of quitting and doing this full time, come over to us. We're, we're looking for some, someone to keep us organized and processed out. And a young, hungry guy. And I was like, well, I can make that happen. Nice. I like how you say processed out. So that's a good segue into kind of like, you know, these processes, the you know, checklists and everything else that keep you know, business organized. Like, do you want to kind of tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now and how you've implemented some of those processes? Sure. So we'll hit probably 350 single family turnkey flips this year. Yeah. So we, we, we try to do, we do some volume. We do a few houses. So like, that's like almost one a day, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's the goal actually. One a day. And uh, disappointingly, I'm doing the projections after September, you know, end of September. We're going to be a little shy, but we do want to hit that maybe next year. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we were doing like 322 last year, 260 the year before and right in that 240, 250 range for the past four or five years. And you know, what's, what's been really getting us over that hurdle from 250 up to the 300 is just, we've really had to zone in on our processes and streamlining things and team communication. And that's kind of where, you know, I just, it just naturally is my affinity towards that with my engineering background. It just fits my, it fits my personality, right? I did a personality test and it just fits what I'm, what I'm good at and naturally love to do where my partners, they're more kind of the go-getters outgoing, like, you know, disorganized, but they're just hitting it hard, right? So it's like you need that balance, right? And anyone, the visionary versus an integrator. Oh, so you read traction. Traction. Traction mm-hmm. is the key. Anyone <laughs> who has, has a business and more than two employees, read the book Traction. And then if you don't do anything with it, then hire someone to read it and it, imply it for you, implement it for you. So yeah, traction is what we're doing. We have weekly meetings with our team. We have scorecards and KPIs to track if they're doing good, if they're missing out on things. And then we really just have like training manuals and job binders and to-do tasks. And everyone has their little box of what they do on our team and they do it well. And we just kind of get together every week and try to solve all the things that are falling through the cracks. Because every business has stuff that's falling through the cracks. And we just think, we just ask. What's going crazy? What's being difficult? What is, what are the fires? What, what's, what is falling through the cracks? And then not only just being like, oh, that happens, you know, I hate that. We go, how can we prevent that? How did it happen? Who did it go to? Who did it touch? What was their communication error? And we just really dive into that and then just think, okay, hey, well, how can we prevent this again? What process or system or tracking mechanism or what can we do to prevent this? That's what we're doing. So Sean, do you want to walk us through kind of what your like most important core processes are when it comes to, obviously acquisition is a big part, but I think we're kind of more interested in, all right, the property has been acquired and you've got the deal. Now what? Yeah. So in any, most real estate businesses, we just kind of go high level. Your main process is your marketing process. And then your acquisitions, which goes with lead capture and offer and follow up under contract. Then there's the acquire and renovate. 
So let's go on that one. And then, then there's the sales process. And then those are probably your main ones there. Mm-hmm. So when you use the choir and renovate, yeah, that, that's a big burden. That's, that's a big one on there. The operations. Operations of it, right? So now we got a piece of trash property. We need to make it nice and sell it. Okay. So when that happens, we have three. So really it's your team, the structure of your team. We found well for us is we have obviously a transaction coordinator that once when they're bought, they hand that the football, right? They hand the football. That's what I, I'd like to say a lot is they're handing the football off to the renovation manager. So it's a crystal clear email. Here's your property, start it and start it today or, or the next day, right? Like that used to be a, a process there. Like we would get a property and not start it for a week. I was like, well, how, how come, you know? Like, Why not? Yeah. yeah, like let's get our, oh, you don't have enough crews. Well, okay, how can we get more crews, right? It's just going to those basics and asking questions. So our reno time, we are at about from purchase to sell, we're at about right around 100 days is our average flip time. Last year, we were trailing around 84. So we've been delayed this year because of permits Mm -hmm. with the utility companies. Okay. So anyways, on the reno, we have three renovation managers. Okay. And they have probably four or six paint crews under them each. And the paint crews have several guys in them. And they're doing about 60 to 80% of the rent out with the paint crews. You know, they do all the sheetrock, drywall, minor, hooking up electrical stuff. And then they just sub out. We have basically, I mean, and they're, they're 1099s, but basically they only work for us. And then under each one of the rental guys, there's a plumber, electrician, and roofer, maybe one or two roofers and HVAC company. So they kind of just, it's kind of easy when you have the same people, your paint crews know after you've explained, hey, we want yeah. this property. This is what they do. And we have a warehouse, 8,000 square foot warehouse, where we buy all of our paint, our fixtures, our HVACs and everything in bulk and store it here and get huge discounts from there. So, and then it's, it's easy. You have one or two paint colors or cabinets and countertops. Yeah. Sorry. You have any, let me know. I can, I can keep going. If you have any questions, let me know. <laughs> all right. So most of it's in-house and it's kind of in-house, but they're 1099. They're only working for you. And basically you're providing them more than a full-time job. There's more work than one paint crew could do. So yeah. basically they're, they're full-time, but they're 1099. All right. Let's not get into the weeds on that stuff. I love how that's set up, but, and then as well, you're getting all of your materials. So does that include cabinets and countertops and yes those are some are so some of the things are special ordered but what we can fit in our warehouse you know just a lot of the plumbing stuff hvacs acs we buy them in bulk get discounts all the the fixtures you know the doorknobs and vent covers and light switches buy all those in bulk and we have a warehouse manager and his vain existence in life is get prices down and find discounts and buy them in bulk and put them in the warehouse and then make sure it's stocked so our guys can just roll in, grab all their stuff and go. They don't have to go to Home Depot four or five times a day. They just mm-hmm. get everything from our warehouse. They already know everything and can go from there. You guys have like really a cool. million square feet of sheetrock. Oh man. Yeah. I wish we could. Yeah. So yeah, then that's a whole, you know, another tangent of just materials and all that. But yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> we buy that and we have a couple storage pods and all that too. So that's kind of our warehouse process then what really helps track our reno guys? Cause they can go off on the wild, wild west if we're not keeping them accountable. 
So every week we meet up with them uh, for half hour, an hour sometimes, and we give them a piece of paper and it has the addresses, you know, for, for all three of the guys, they each get a separate piece of paper. Okay, here's your 10 or 20. They're usually doing around 20 houses at a time, 20 to 30. Here's your 20 houses. Here's the day we bought it. I want you to fill in the column when you started it, when you project it will be done originally. And if we're past that projected date, what's your new updated date? And then we put in the budget and then the current budget, if you're on or off track, and then when you're finally done. So we track those numbers and it keeps them accountable. It keeps them organized. And then we just kind of go over issues every week on that. So that's been huge is tracking that historical data of the renovations, you know, our projected reno versus actual, and then getting better at narrowing down and getting more accurate on our budgets. Yeah. That's awesome. Is there, do you guys do like a process of scheduling or how do you come up with that projected date out in the future? So we have our historical four years of data. Yeah. So historical four years, our average house is 90 days, you know, so that's what we do. And then we do it kind of, then they go, well, this is a harder house. The upper quadrant of the harder houses are 130 days, you know, the middle hundred then the lower tier, they can get them done in 60 days, 45 days. Yeah. I think our record is like, 20, it was either 19 or 21 days. That's, for a flip. That's and that was awesome. like a, you know, 20, 30 grand reno. We just, we just, the stars aligned yeah. with our all-star. <laughs> that's yeah. Fun. So we, so we do that. And then we have a budget process. Like we have a whole budget with just a custom spreadsheet really Yeah. that you plug in square footage for different metrics and, and have standardized prices from our warehouse. Then they'll standardize labor prices. So we've standardized that budget as well, which took a lot of time and man hours, but man, it's, gotten us so much more accurate on our budgets back four or five years ago when we were a little disorganized we were you know you just it was budgets were hit and miss it's like well this is kind of what it's going to be now we're, we're within five ten percent of our budgets projected versus actual most of the time there are some houses that go over when you're doing 300 so that's there's that and then that's so then i think the key just a little nugget here is like for your your people your employees is we do a little performance bonus for our renovation managers that if, if we win, they win. If we lose, they lose with us. You know, not, not the exact same proportional, but obviously they get a base salary, but then we give them a performance bonus, let's say $500 to $1,000 a month based on, you know, if the past month, the five, 10 houses they finished out, what was their, their projected budget versus actual? And it tears, the more they were over budget, the less bonus they get. And then some other key metrics. So, I highly suggest you bonus your people and employees. I'm a fan for giving almost everyone a performance, monthly performance bonus. And you make it something that is in their direct control and something that you want them to focus on that'll earn you money and them money. And that's been a key to getting that performance bonus. Because now it's like a little competition between the three of them. Who's the quickest? You know, time is another thing. Who's the quickest this month? Who is the most on track with their budget? And it's kind of fun. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Having some competition in the workplace is always fun. I think how to win friends and influence people talks about like, you know, throwing the the competition down there. Example is like, you know, the night shift versus the day shift at the end of their shift, they write down like how many they got done. And then each mm-hmm. shift just tries to beat each other. So that's that breeding some competition is good. So for our listeners, I kind of wanted to back up just a tiny bit. Like, you said four or five years ago, your budget was just in kind of disarray and you like spent this time, like really kind of creating it. Like, is Mm -hmm. it, can we drill down into that? Like, 
what steps did you go through to like make those improvements? Because I think that's where, you know, a lot of our listeners may be at the point where like, you know, they're like, I've got something crappy and I don't really know how to fix it or like that process to actually go through and get it to be something that's like dialed in. So I was wondering if you could just maybe just take us through like, you know, kind of what you did over those, the course of those like four or five years to like really come up with something that was super streamlined. Right. Great question. And that's probably like the, the hardest thing to do. That is, that is the key. That is, that is what's not trained in college or whatever formal training. And, you know, and every business is unique, even though they're the same industry, you know, yours is different. You have different people and processes, right? So it's kind of unique to you. So yeah, it, it requires patience. It requires just sheer freaking like almost like you're pissed off at the scenario. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a big enough pain. You're just, I hate this. I hate that yeah, we're over. Why are we over? Why? You know, like a little bit of that. We've heard it in other things. It's like grit. It's like the, the unwillingness yeah. to give up. Yes. Cause it, it, cause there's so many, you can, yeah. Going off on high level mindset here is number one mindset. Just cause you know, you can hear from the reno guys. Oh, well, because you know, there's this unforeseen thing or, you know, we had, we had this or that. I'm like, okay. You know, or why are you take, why are we out 120 days to do renovate these houses? Right. But you've done a few quicker, right. It's just like not accepting mediocrity and then just really doing little baby steps. Like you're, it's, it's an overwhelming thing. It took, took, takes a couple of years. So just consistency. I think it's consistently meeting with your team. The key was just meeting with our reno team, having that little piece of paper to track them, keeping that historical data and seeing their averages. Like, man, we're average over by 20% or 15% all the time or a lot of the time. And then just being aware of that step one. And then meeting with the team weekly, like getting the boots on the ground data and knowledge. Like you need to be empathetic and understand what your guys are going through. So shadowing your employees, hearing what they're saying, letting them bring up their issues and not getting mad at them for making mistakes. Because if, if you get pissed at your employees for making mistakes all the time, they're just going to hide the issues and you'll never hear them and you'll never solve them. They'll just always beat around the bush with excuses and you'll not get to the real thing. So you need to have like that patience and understanding, but also the grit, also the wanting to solve it, but you're attacking the problem not the person. So there's the high level. Then for this specific scenario, I got just gathered all the data, you know, like here's our past hundred properties we renovated the past few months. Okay. Here's our actuals versus projected. Oh, here's why where we're over then breaking that down. Okay. So yeah, we're over. Well, where are we going over? Is it on our electrical, the plumbing, the roof, the carpentry, the paint, where are we over? And what we discovered is from our data is that we're over on electrical plumbing and then unforeseen issues like subfloor issues or, or electrical or plumbing issues, you know, or things behind walls. Like that's, that's that. And then a couple other things we were off, like just talking with the guys like, Oh, well I actually pay this for my guys. Not that like prices have changed. And I'm like, well, when you change your price, let me know so I can update the spreadsheet. <laughs> Basics like that communication. Right. And it's hard when you have a big team. So identifying that, then just talking with the guys, like when, when they would go over budget significantly on a property or two, we'd talk about those every month in front of everyone. It's, you know, it's a, so, Hey, you know, supervisor, number one, this month, you, these two were your worst ones. What happened? Write them down up on the screen. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And then I go to supervisor two or three. Okay. Do you guys run into that? What do you do to prevent it? What could you do? 
And then supervisor number one, also, what were the, your best properties? Oh, wow, you were under budget on this property. What'd you do? Wow, you finished this property in 45 days. Good job. So like also recognizing what they're doing well and do that with renovation guy two and three, bring all your ideas together. Whoever the top performer is, extracting what he's doing well. You know, what, what are you doing? How are you getting all these done so quick? How are you being on budget? You know, what's, what is it? And you know, a, lot, a lot of it comes down to him and the crews and him holding his crews accountable and negotiating well with them. It's a lot, man. And then it's just literally like a half hour a week for, for two or three years. And then just adjusting and tweaking and fixing this 5%, fixing that 10%, 15, 20, what else? And then, yeah, the accountability, you see that accountability, it's in front of everyone. Everyone's, so, you know, when, when you go to one of the supers and, hey, why were you over? Why are you so long? You know, they're probably thinking the next month, you know what? I'm probably going to try a little better because I don't want to be embarrassed in front of the whole team, right? You know, so that's also too, is the accountability and transparency. And I'm transparent with my numbers and what I report and what my goals are. And so everyone else is as well. So comes down to high level, authentic leadership. That's kind of interesting. So you have like your own goals and you report those to the team. Yeah. I have quarterly goals and rocks projects. I have weekly numbers that I'm, you know, I, I do processes and meeting with team members and solving issues. Then being on podcasts and videos is also another <laughs> one of mine, which I've been, I've been a couple of goose eggs for recently, but I'm, wow. I'm back on. All right. Brand out there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Woo. Check the box. Uh, check it. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be a good leader too. You gotta be on that front line with them, but also look, look over, over everything as well. So I've got a question about kind of the crews and how you guys have developed your crews. And, you know, I mean, before like five, six years ago, you guys probably had less crews. So how are you going about like finding those qualified people and then, you know, recruiting more and how exactly do the, I mean, the, the painting crews that you guys have set up seem like they are essentially doing everything except licensed work that needs to be done by a a journeyman. Yep. Yeah. So first off, that's a new recent thing because our volume, you know, we went from Three three sixty to three twenty two, and now three fifty this year. So that that's a new thing we're just bringing up. Like, hey, man, go! Like, now you need f- six or seven crews under you instead of three or four. So we're looking for more new guys. First off, that is a recent issue too. But previously, I mean, it's it's a little different in the rental world. You can't just go post this on the internet because those guys aren't like tech savvy typically. The paint crews. I mean, it's really poaching. One strategy is just driving around and you see a dumpster and go ask the paint crew, hey, who's your boss and you know, you go find that, that boss and, hey, let's try you out. Give him a property or two, see how he does. And we found some of our best crews from that, also our worst. And you've got to go through like, you got to go through like four to get one good one. So it is just testing out a couple and, you know, first couple of weeks in, if they're not hitting it and doing it, all right, we're going to have to let you go. We're going to try out another crew. And just from that is you can tell real quick after you let them try it out. Then also, yeah, of course we do search, you know, posted and all of that on those sites. We do get some people here and there and then really just word of mouth. We have little signs in the front of our properties, like contractors needed, painters needed, plumbers needed as we need them and just get a bunch of people and then try our best to test them out. So when it comes to 
the pricing, are you having the paint crews bid or are you being like, okay, you've got a four person crew. We're going to pay you this hourly rate or how exactly? Great question. We just do a set, a set, our budget. And we tell our contractors, don't hand them our budget, what our prices are and how we calculate that. Tell them, hey, so they go with the guy, meet him there and they go room by room and they write down, here's what it's going to be. And usually try to get that down a bit and then negotiate with him a bit. And then if it's good for him, great. If not, all right, next guy, he will take it. Okay. Um, so you guys are dictating the, a bid price yes. based on the work. Yep. Okay. And that's just kind of going off of market rates. And so you, you have essentially expert knowledge there. Most like newer investors are not, you know, they're not going to be able to walk through a property and be and dictate to a contractor. This is how much we're going to pay you take it or leave it. Yeah. But that is something that AJ and I are trying to develop a process for, but it's so tough here in Portland because there's such a huge labor shortage Yeah, and you know, there's just less work getting done because there's fewer qualified contractors and it's, and then it's they a, can raise their prices. Sean, yeah, the, the houses that you're working on, like how similar are they to each other? Pretty similar. So I'd say of like the three, whatever, 300 or so, probably 20% of them are like the high end yeah. selling, you know, 400,000 plus ish, you know, nice retail. But then the other 80% are turnkey three bedroom, two bath homes, 1300 square feet on average, you yeah, know, 1300. So I mean, like we're, we're a little bit different. Like our, we, we do some apartments like anywhere from like, you know, six, 700 square feet up to like 1100 square feet. And then we've also got these single family homes that are, you know, sometimes two bedroom, one bath all the way up to like five bedroom. And right. you know, the range is from like 11 or 1200 square feet up to 3,200. And dictating the, the price on that stuff can be difficult just because of the wide range. So I, we're getting to the point with the apartments, like the two bedroom, one baths and the one bedroom ones that we can be like, no, it needs to be kind of within this, you know, three to $500 range. So we're getting better at that. But on the other ones, our best practice has been just calling out three, you know, call out for three bids, three, four bids, and then try to mm-hmm. take the best one or, you know, the one that you, you know, that's going to do a good job. Yeah. Starting out, that's, of course, that's how we started out. And then once when you have a thousand renovations on your belt and historical data, we can pull that. But yeah, if I was a new guy, that's, that's how I'd start out too, how you guys are doing it. Just get bids, try to make your budget your best, write down all the things you need, upfront contract, all those those basics and just follow up with them. And yeah. So, when you got that data on, I mean, after you had done, you know, three or 500 renovations, how did you go through the process of developing, you know, the price for each, like to paint that 200 square foot wall or to put sheetrock, then prime and paint. And I mean, essentially now you have a formula for basically everything cost per square foot or so, or like cost yeah. per it's more unit. Gener- yeah. It's more like a general, like paint is X dollars per foot, you know, interior than exterior, a little weighted from that, depending on if it's brick or not. 
And then if there's more above and beyond sheetrock patching work, it's like per, per a foot, a dollar value. And same with floors per foot, either it's tile or LVP, you know, then HVACs, we just did a matrix of, you know, one ton, two ton, three ton, four ton system, material cost, labor cost, boom. Plumbing, that's plumbing electrical. I think that's why it's more tricky Mm -hmm. while we're off is that is more, you know, we have a panel replacement thing, but then there's rewiring and if it's, you know, copper, aluminum wiring, other things like that. So we're we're still honing in on some things and we kind of just do a general blanket, you know, low, medium, high electrical work, blanket it, and then try to add on tax, you know, and then really it was about, now this only two years ago is we got to the point in our volume we hired a full-time guy and his one and only bane of existence is to do the budgets, get them more accurate and adjust them. And that's it. So whenever we buy a house, we have one guy go in and do the budget and he's the consistent guy. So it's a consistent budget because every renovation manager <laughs> will do different, right? Because yeah. they're trying to get their bonus, right? And it's neutral because he, he isn't incentivized if the budget is on or off track, you know what I mean? Like where the other guys would try to beef them up where the acquisition guys back, like, Oh, well, we need the budget down lower so we can actually mm-hmm. buy it. So now we have a guy who's neutral and he does, he does that. That's just recently really paid off well. And he kind of zoned it in even double fold from there. Cause then his job also is to audit them. So after he has his projections, he audits all the, the actuals and looks at the ones that are that are off or, or under too much and then adjusts the budget and goes, ah, I didn't, I couldn't, have, we didn't find that in the inspection. Why didn't we? And, you know, now it's down the point of stuff just we can't foresee, you know, unless you, I don't know, tore open the whole house. Yeah, unless there's like, you know, destructive forensics in order to find right. like what's, what's yeah. underneath. So. Which maybe someday there might be some cool tech instruments and things like that. But. Some x-ray vision goggles. Yeah. You're, talking just, about, you're talking some like extra stud finders or something. Your iPhone just all of a sudden's like, yeah, an x-ray or something cool. I mean, you know, might happen. I mean, they have those thermal readers and moisture readers. Like, right. that's certainly, you know, like very good information to know. Like, okay, well, what's the moisture content of this floor? Or what's like if it's dry versus soaking wet that I don't know what exactly that would equate to, but there's, there is some tech out there that like home inspectors are using that are pretty, pretty good info. Oh yeah. And by the way, yeah. Our budget guy, he was a home inspector. Ah. Like, right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's perfect. Perfect fit. So I've got more of a a question, maybe more for Chris and I, but maybe our our listeners as well. But what sort of technology have you implemented to kind of help you with these processes? You know, I know that you said you're still using kind of Excel sheets for some of the budgets, but is there anything new out in the market that you found super beneficial that's like really helped with these renovations? Great question. So for our acquisitions, we use Podio. It's kind of like a CRM tracks people and how you can create automations in it. And then really, I mean, man, there's just, the grass is always greener with every <laughs> tech. Yeah. They have yeah. this, but then they don't have that. But then this other new one has that, but then it doesn't do that. Or if you want, if you want this custom thing, you got to do it and pay for it make it yeah. yourself. So it came to the point of me is I've keep it. It's really, I've created just my own internal dashboard and it's based off Google sheets and it shares to everything else. But we have one main dashboard that has probably 
I'd say over 200 columns, you know, and then each row is a property and has every data metric you could think of. And then as long as that's entered in, then it pulls sub reports for each different phase of the process. Wow. Has flags and tracking mechanisms and then can pull me my month reports on, on everything. And so that, that's what really it's, I spreadsheet guy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's spreadsheet, <laughs> but you can do some pretty cool stuff, especially with what's that software that integrates to every Zapier, Zap, Zapier, Zapier. Uh-huh. So Zapier. I can do that to everything and automated emails and reports and cool sheets. So that's we, kind of what rocking. We implemented Lead Simple. It's more of a specific property management, but it's a CRM and does a lot of what Podio does, but. That's been with like property management. Yeah. Oh yeah. And our property management, we use Propertyware and we've looked at several others several times. I don't know. Everyone has this and that, but doesn't have that, you know? So. I think you're married. You're married to Propertyware. And and if you want to change, it's going to be real ugly divorce. Really ugly. (laughs) Yes. Random, but we just brought on a property and they got a loan that requires a DACA account and the lender, which basically means that the money goes to the lender first, which is like, we've never experienced that before. And they're they're like, oh, you guys need to change your software because Appfolio, you know, doesn't support this account. And we're like, are you kidding? There's no way we're changing software for one property. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I could imagine like setting up a totally separate system for it if it was a good enough deal for us. But I just don't think that they understand like how difficult it is to switch from one platform to another. Oh, yeah. Lots of man hours and cost. And then mis- there's mistakes and things that fall through the cracks with, mm-hmm. the, with the new system. Cool. And maintaining like bank reconciliations and uh, so are you the operations manager for the property management company as well? I'm a consultant. So my partner owns that himself solely and he brings me on in the leadership meeting as a consultant to, okay. to help out with that. But he has another operations manager, Billy Ross. He's like 20 years in the multifamily apartment management. So they, they got there in good hands. That's awesome. Yes, I, I understand the I definitely understand the systems and processes of a property management company. It's it's harder than than this, I would say. More complex and it's a tricky business, but someone's gotta do it. We've awesome. really been leveraging Zapier and and Lob. Are you familiar with Lob? It's it's direct mail where you can essentially create a letter using Google spreadsheets and Zapier and then you can just enter in a line of spreadsheet data and it'll generate a letter and mail it. And it gets, you know, anywhere in the country in like three or four days. That's pretty awesome. I could see you use that pretty usefully for like, hey, rent's late or your lease is going to expire in two months. Um, notices. Those, notices. Yeah. yeah, all those good things. That's great. Anything yeah, we you use, need to mail. <laughs> we use for collections. Yeah, we use a text software. God, I can't remember what it's called. But they, all the tenants that are on the six, if they're late, hey, you're late, you know, here's your late fee. We're, you know, what, when are you going to pay? And then a couple follow-up texts and then, hey, 15th, hey, we're filing, you know, you need to come in. That's been super helpful to help our collections is the little text software. Anyways, yeah. But you gotta get- yeah, texting. Yeah. So Appfolio does texting for awesome. us, but it's not automated. 
So what well, Lead Simple does, and that's automated. Yep. Well, Lead Simple, you have to pay per text. Yeah, ours too. You buy a bunch, but yeah. It's costing you business at some point. That's how they get you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I think let's get to our last four questions. All this information, Sean, has been absolutely wonderful. Really appreciate having you on. And I'm going to start us off with the first one, which is what's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? Okay. This one's a little, little different, but so my personality doesn't understand emotions at all. I'm an engineer. I'm logic. Who cares about emotions? Get that. But that's really essential to any holistic approach of mental health, happiness, and like achieving more. So I would say like just research emotional awareness and meditation and expressing those, you know, and learning about them and learning what they truly are versus like the stigma of like, oh, emotions, don't talk about that. Don't talk about your feelings. But like (laughs) really do, do and bring that out because like it's brought so much power and just peace of mind to me. To where like, like I'm not, I get stressed, but I'm not as much as I used to be because I understand how to work those. And that, you know, for any business owner, anyone running a business, it is a huge benefit and an investment of your time to look into that. Awesome. So that'd be my advice. Yeah, that is a new one. Especially 25 and young and just like, oh, you know, you have all these huge goals. You want to be here and all the social media that's out there and causes all this drama and stress and expectations and you know? So just that helps so much. Just learning what that is and how to deal with that. Be aware of your emotions. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? Okay. So my family had a fruit business, a fruit farm, and they had a couple of fruit stands. So I actually like just partnered up with them, a little profit split. And I went and started my own fruit stand like an hour away from town and sold fruit on the weekends as a side gig while I was still doing my engineering job. And it's actually killing it. Eventually it got up to like three or four fruit stands and was making as much in a week as I was in one day. doing the wow. fruit stand. And that's what really like was like, Oh wow. And I, I got some employees. I was like, wow, like I can hire someone and pay them 15 an hour and then keep the, you know, whatever spread above that. And I was like, Whoa, like, why don't I just do this with a thousand people? You know, <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, a hundred, and it just, just, oh, my mind. And then of course I'd look at all the numbers and the profits and the, my dollar per an hour time and the gross margin on the, all of that. And I was just like, oh, I got to go into business. I can't be doing research anymore. That's that is very cool. That yeah. is, that is very cool. All right. That may lead into this next question, but how has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? So biomedical engineering wouldn't regret doing it like, cause it's just freaking challenging, right? You learn to do hard stuff. You learn to study and learn hard things that are super complex and way vague and abstract. And if you can learn that, well, then you can learn how to get a reno done, you know, in less time and on budget. Right. So just, and the graphs and the data using big data and analyzing it and using that, using that for a business has helped out a lot being organized and structured. So that's what I learned from my formal training then informal with just books, traction, the e-myth, how to win friends and influence people, just all these books. Got a bunch of books back here too that I just try to read. So just try to read a book a month. And then I would say just, just putting things on yourself, challenging yourself, see where you can go, finding out what you like. Then I'd say the math, math business masterminds and networking and talking with other owners and being on podcasts and listening to them like with you guys. 
I'd say is way, way more essential than formal education, to be quite honest. But the formal does did shape me in, in a way. Nice. I like it. All right. And our final question. What was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? Okay. So we, of course, we do, you know, with our volume, we lose money on houses. What surprisingly, <laughs> might you lose money on a few houses in real estate. And it, yeah, yet again, 17, it's gone down a bunch, like actually call a lot fold significantly. But just, you know, when we have a loss, like, I just remember like other, the other team members like just, no, just brush on the rug. Oh, you know, just a bad deal. You know, but I'm like, well, why, what happened? How, how did it happen? Where was in our process? What are we lacking? What's the most common area of the, of the loss? And I just did, I would do a deep dive and I would talk to the reno guy. I would talk to the acquisition manager, talk to my partners about it, talk to the transaction person, the salesman. I look at all the average times and the numbers on it compared to others and just look like, why did this happen? what can we implement? And doing that has helped us learn a lot why we're losing money. So then on the acquisitions, we go, oh, well, this house is a in this area or is this type of certain house or, or whatever, or has a fire damage. Well, I finally realized, hey, if the house had a fire damage, we go over budget 100% of the time on that by <laughs> 15, 20 grand. Oh, okay. Well, let's make our budgets reno on a firehouse, not 45,000. Let's make it 60. You know, not keep repeating the same mistakes. So that, those were things like that. And some were simple. Some were, oh, we didn't do a budget on the house. What? Why? Why? You know, or, oh, like, oh, I just, you know, kind of, we you know, messed up on the reno there. We, we overlooked that. I'm like, well, why? You know, like, just, just simple, right? And a lot of it comes down to the basics. Like, oh, we just basically missed something and something got missed on these hundreds of properties that go through us. So, it's okay. How can we hone down on that? How can we not miss that? And that's where a lot of processes were created from that. So always look at your, what I learned is always look at your mistakes and just approach it with curiosity and like, what can I learn from this? Ask a dozen questions and answer them all. And then, then just the ultimate one is what can we learn from this and appreciate it. Don't just avoid it, appreciate it and embrace those mistakes and bring them up transparently. I like that. I like Be it. curious. That reminds me of my favorite scene from Ted Lasso. Have you been watching Ted Lasso? No, I haven't. Oh, you got to check it out. I get it. But there was one scene where Ted challenges the villain to a darts match. And the guy's got like his own darts case. And he's like, oh, we're going to smoke him. And he's like, well, you know, if you were curious, you would have asked, hey, Ted, have you played darts before? And he's like, yeah, I'm like a darts league champion. <laughs> and he just smokes them. It's amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Be curious. Yeah. Well, super fun, Sean. Thank you so much for coming on. If our audience wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, Sean Taggy, and then... My cell phone, 901-500-7517. Call me or text me. And then shantaggy at gmail.com is my email. And memphisinvestmentproperties.net. We have our turnkeys on there. And we also have apartment syndication opportunities to accredited investors. And yeah, feel free to check us out. Be, I'm happy to help out anyone. If you're ever in Memphis, especially you guys, I'll treat you guys some nice <laughs> hey. world famous Memphis barbecue. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So yeah. Be happy to have anyone over. Come visit our office. We'll give you a tour. Awesome. Next time, we're going to go check out the Appalachians. Ah, yeah. Smokies. Yeah, that's great. 
<laughs> All right, Sean. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Awesome. You, and Chris. You guys rock. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.